Welcome to the Drive with Dave podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Miller at drivewithdave.com. I get to drive some of the fastest, coolest, sexiest cars on the planet. Ever since I bought my first Ferrari, I've been immersed in the global car community. Now I travel the world uncovering the hidden gems in luxury transportation and connecting with extraordinary car enthusiasts. Join me as I find the most exotic cars, meet the owners, and get the -the behind-the-scenes stories of the world's most exclusive rides. I'm really excited about bringing our guest here today because I'm often asked about driving on the track, and I wanted to present an expert. I mean, after all, who doesn't want to go faster? Martin Hancock is consistently called on to instruct both novices and veterans on the finer points of going faster, while he regularly takes part in amateur road racing in the Midwest. I met Martin in the early 90s. We both had Ferraris and became fast friends. I had a Ferrari 348, and Martin had an earlier 328. Even though I had a faster, newer car, he always seemed to kick my butt by turning in much, much quicker times in that slower 328. Divine intervention, I realized, had nothing to do with it, and uh, I, I just uh, he's just such a great driver. Martin is the Chief Operating Officer for World Franchise Associates, also the Chief Instructor for the Chicago Chapter of the Ferrari Club of America. I'm pleased to call him a friend, excited to share his thoughts on becoming a better driver, and happy he could join our podcast today. Welcome, Martin Hancock. Hi, Dave. I'm very pleased to be here. Yes, and and thank you. Like I said, thank you so much for joining us this morning because I think the things we want to talk about, Martin, is how you became a faster driver, who you teach right now, and how you help people become faster. First of all, uh, I noticed the accent. Where were you born? New York. But the accent's from? England. I went back to England. I, I went back to England at one, and I lived there till my early twenties. You must have some early memories of being in England and uh, cars you were exposed to, either from your family, your friends, or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my father was uh, was very a car enthusiast, um, and I spent a lot of time being dragged to tracks like Brands Hatch and Thruxton, Silverstone. As a very young kid, my father owned a BMW 2002 TII, which was a, a was a big event in our lives. That was the first good car I got to drive. I had a uh, series of very cheap cars that fell apart at various stages, including a Triumph Spitfire uh, MGB, and then uh, I got an Alpha. GTV, a 69 GTV, which was a complete eye-opener to me as far as what back then was a, a sophisticated sports car. So yeah, I've been, I've been a car enthusiast and a, more importantly, a driving enthusiast from day one. Now, was that always true of your dates? Because it seems to me in a bar story, you told me a situation where, where you were taking a date out somewhere and uh, her dress got a little, um, how, how did you put it again? Oh dear, I, I'm not sure if we want to introduce your first podcast with this. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to uh, a prom with a date, all dressed up in my Triumph Spitfire, uh, down a country road in in uh, in the UK. Um, unbeknownst to me, the the uh, left hand front wheel arch of the car was completely gone. So I went Yikes. through a 
large pile of horse manure which siphoned <laughs> into the passenger footwell of the car, which obviously put this date on a great footing. It didn't go very far after that, as you can imagine. <laughs> First and last, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened to the car? And, and another story you had told me about going around a corner somewhere and, and something split in half. What happened? That car had a, I don't know what they call it, but it had one steel bar as the chassis that ran fore and aft. And um, while taking a corner too quickly on the way to school, it actually snapped in half. The car snapped in half. Difficult, difficult to catch that one. <laughs> so, somewhere between your getting a license in England and going to these track events, you, you must have decided you were going to become a better driver. And in this case, maybe it was just because you were out there throwing it around on back roads, driving on what we like to say here is the wrong side of the road. But um, you got involved in motorsports somewhere. And, and tell me a little bit about that, please. How'd you do it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was hammering around the, um, the back roads in, in the UK. When I moved here, um, I had a couple of cars, but I bought a Alpha... GTV6. And uh, I started doing track events with the Alpha Club. And that's basically uh, how I start, how I, I got involved with this here. So you started doing track events with the Alpha Club, and then you found out that you were, you had a modicum, as you've uh, said before, of skill. Did you, how did you develop the skill? Was it just seat time? just seat time and practice and driving and obviously i anytime i went to a new track i'd go out with an instructor um and i would learn that way and then you know then you find that the 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 you like the competitive element so you end up doing time track days and then you start racing and and that's that's how it goes you know my friend you you brought something up here about seat time and instruction and students and um, all all of your words um, and I know you instruct for some various groups in the Midwest tell me a little bit about that please I instruct for the Ferrari Club I instruct for Continental Motors I've and th those are the main those are the main groups that I instruct with I've also I also help with new drivers for VSCDA uh, with the school there, which is uh, the Vintage Sports Car Drivers Association. And I've worked with the BMW Club and the Porsche Club. I, re I remember your years winning the Grand Prix in Formula One, but um, that's another story. Listen, since you spend so much time with people in cars, there are probably things you have said to others. I know you've certainly told me things like, Dave, make sure the car's uh, in gear, uh, take the handbrake off, little things like that that have certainly made me faster. But if you had to say, here's a couple of tips. These are things that you tell students on a regular basis. What, what would you tell people? Give me, give me three or four tips. Well, you're right about the basics. I mean, maybe not taking the handbrake off, but <laughs> you have to start with the basics. Um, a lot of people that buy a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Maserati, um, they assume that that will automatically make them a great driver. And it's not always the case, or more importantly, it's never the case. The most important thing about learning to drive is, in order to drive faster, you've got to drive within yourself, right? So the typical Ferrari, and he'll get the car, and he'll 
just go and anybody can go really really fast in a straight line Mm -hmm, me included but if one is to learn one's got to leave the part of your brain out to learn in other words if you're driving at your own limit you'll never go any faster because you're not going to be you're not learning you've got to drive within yourself so you can so you can learn so you can take the instruction and Mm -hmm. you know there's a number of basics in this like if you're on a racetrack if you're if you take the correct line around a racetrack and understand what the line is the racetrack becomes as wide as it can possibly be Mm. right Mm -hmm. sure that's that's vital you've got to understand that the car will go where you look so if you're looking into the scenery that's where the car's going to end up oh i've made that mistake before (laughs) (laughs) you've got to remember that there's only um you know your contact with the car is through your feet through your hands and through your butt and you've got to believe what's happening in those things you know in and this becomes more um murky now with so many drivers aids in a car right Um, because it'll help you so much that um, that sometimes impedes the learning process so you feel that the newer cars obviously are different than the older cars in that these days uh, all the the traction controls the analog slip angles and everything contribute to a faster car not necessarily a better driver absolutely spot on i think actually it's detrimental in a lot of ways you go to any track day and you'll see you know a a guy in a three series bmw keeping up with the guy in the 458 ferrari and it's just simply how he understands because he understands how to drive the car um you know when i get into a car i'm never uh, not into a a ferrari with a novice i'm certainly never going to tell him immediately to take all the the devices off you know to turn that button all the way to not help you mode right right so if if i'm listening to you carefully and i am i think what you're saying is people can get a lot out of just going out in a slower car i know in the past you've said things like mazda miatas can be an absolute ball for a little bit of money not everybody has to go buy a ferrari or a lamborghini or a porsche to really enjoy a great time on the track is that right absolutely right now mazda miata is a great example a nice handling um front engine rear wheel drive car that responds to what you're doing and you know you can you can learn how to drive the car control the car catch slides and you can learn to do it at you know 60 miles an hour instead of 140 and it's it's a great way to learn car dynamics and measure your own abilities and that brings me to another question something i just thought of for an amateur racer the guy or gal that wants to go out there You've seen them all from the slowest to the fastest. Recommend a couple of cars then. What's affordable? What's reliable? What can people, besides the Mazda, which is an obvious choice too, what else do you think that they should look at? So you have to decide what category, and you're you're talking racing now, right? Uh-huh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so you have to decide what category of racing you're going to go into. If you want to race a single-seater, then a Formula V or a Formula Ford. There's, you know, some some people don't want to race an open wheel car because they're not comfortable with the fact that wheels can tangle up. 
if you're looking at um, at racing a sedan, then there's uh, a Mazda's a great example. Um, in vintage racing, there's a selection of MGs, Alphas, a lot of things that that you can drive. And then if you go to SCCA, you just look at sporting sporting road cars that you know that can be converted into race cars. And the SCCA, of course, you can get to their website. I know it's the Sports Car Club of America, and they have a regular program laid out for people that want to go from one to the other. But you've done this for so many years, too. Tell tell our listeners, what's a typical weekend of amateur road racing look like? Start to finish, what's, uh, what's involved? Well, a good one is uh, you get to the track. You've normally It's normally three days, um, a day of practice and qualifying, and then two days of qualifying and racing. Um, it never normally goes that smoothly. You, sp- <laughs> <laughs> you, you spend a lot of time fixing stuff. You spend a lot of time um, prepping the car. And you know, depending on the budget, you're either doing that yourself or somebody else is doing it for you. But you tend to be busy. The whole time you're at a racetrack for the weekend, you tend to be busy. And one of the things that you realize when you either race a car or or use your own car on a track day, the car undergoes a lot more duress or stress than it does on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, and particularly seeing we're probably talking about um, taking exotic cars on the track in a non-racing environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can quite easily go through the a set of brakes or a set of tires in your road car in a day, you know, that okay. would take you months or years in a, in, in a, in a road driving on the road environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you brought up something that I have to touch on because right now there are people out there that are saying, what's my budget going to look like? What if I, if I want to get involved and you'd mentioned a, a Mazda Miata, which I, I, I think are great little cars. I spent a little bit of time on a track in one and it's a great little starter car. It's, it's not going to cost a whole lot of money, but that whole lot of money thing, I don't know. What's my budget? What should I look for if I just want to go out and have a little bit of fun? Well, a Mazda Miata, a Mazda Miata and I'm not an expert on these cars, but um, a body panel for a Miata, uh, you know, it's called a spec Miata. So first of all, in theory, all the cars are the same. In practice, um, that's not always the case, but they should all be the same. So if you... Um, if you bend a fender in a in a Mazda Miata, it's going to cost you eighty bucks. If you do the if you if you do the same in a uh, something much more exotic, the pr- price is going to be exponentially higher. Um, a set of a set of tires on that car will last multiple races, maybe maybe last you a season. Um, I race a spec racer called a Lola Sport Two Thousand which runs on slicks and a set of slicks for that car is a thousand bucks and it'll last one weekend. And, and that's a cheap car to race. (laughs) 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 So, so, so yeah, there's, there is, if you're going racing, you want to take a close look at your budget and, and understand it. And I assume that you drive that Lola to the track from your home. Is that right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> no license plates, slick tires, no roof. You know, the days of very few people anymore drive a car 
to a racetrack and race it. And I love that concept. Mm -hmm. I, you know, one of the few cars you can probably still do that in is a Lotus seven mm -hmm. and be competitive. Uh -huh. But nowadays, if you, you very, very rarely see it, you know, in vintage racing, you can spend exponential dollars on, on a season of racing. Right. All that, all that unobtainium for special bolts and special exactly. engine. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Engines that last three races, this kind of thing. And, and what kind of, now I know at the end, you win a race, you stand up there on the podium, you spray champagne. Um, what's the end look like? So <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't even get the champagne. <laughs> you got you have to enjoy the process you know you have to enjoy enjoy being there one person is going to win and they're going to win precisely nothing mm -hmm. and nobody's going to be picked up by uh mercedes or mclaren for their formula one team so you have to enjoy the process if you had to list and of course you spend a lot of time i know you've driven uh, internationally in some events and some rallies and races but Favorite tracks. I, I know you have a soft spot for Road America. It's a big old gal, wonderful track. But uh, what do you like to drive and why? I like Road America is not only one of the best tracks in the US, it's one of the best tracks in the world. It's a very fast track with a lot of straights. If you're driving a low, a low horsepower car, a momentum car, what you really want is you want elevation change you want corners you don't necessarily need the you know the mile long straights mid ohio is a particular favorite of mine um groton is a very rural track but a ball to drive and we're so lucky you know living where we do in the midwest we've you know within um a couple of hours of chicago we've got gingerman we've got blackhawk there's no shortage of tracks but i would say Road America, Mid-Ohio, and um, Laguna Seca and Road Atlanta. Those are probably my mm -hmm. favorite tracks in, in this country. And I know you've done, a lot of, you've done a lot of stuff outside of just the regular track world. Um, and I think at a later time, too, people would love to hear about the time that you and I dragged that little vintage Alfa Romeo all the way down to <laughs> Tuxla Gutierrez and some of the fun that we had on the road um, going from bar to bar, I mean, church to church. That was a great time. Um, but when you when you talk about off-roading the way you do too, um, what, what excites you about that stuff? I should say off-track, not off-roading, yeah. Yes, the event you're alluding to, the Carrera Panamericana, which we did in a 1960 Julietta sprint along with um, I, with Patrick Bowling, uh -huh. um, was probably the single most entertaining car event I've ever done. Uh, runs from the from the Guatemalan border to Gutierrez to the uh, to the Texas border, um, and the attraction is that you get to point to point. You go point to point on a regularity basis. And as long as you make that, then there are speed stages that decide the results. So it's really attractive to drive a car on a regular road as fast as you possibly can with no fear of any anything coming the other way, the full support of the police, etc. I remember dragging that car down to Mexico with you, and that was four or five days on the road, um, just shooting the breeze and talking about car racing, Mexico, obviously cold beer. That was that was just uh, one of the high points of uh, uh, of my life. That was a lot of fun. But Martin, 
If you could race a car, sky's the limit, money's no object, you've won that Powerball, you can decide on anything in the world. If you could buy a car, go out onto the track and really have a great time with it, what, what would you buy and why? So let's start with any Formula One car from any era except the turbo the turbo cars because i'd never get far past the first corner in one of those <laughs> um i'd love a go in a ferrari p3 do you think you can sort that out for me <laughs> you know it just so happens my neighbors got one and i was wondering <laughs> uh a maserati 250f mm. Mm. a porsche 907 uh currently of the current cars i'd love a go in anything that qualifies for the gt class at le mans particularly the Ferrari or Porsche offerings. So what would you say so what would like what would that look like? Give me a specific on a Porsche. Well, I think it I don't know if it's it's, it's the Porsche 911 race car. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the 488 Ferrari race car. Mm -hmm. And of course the the one that won this year was the Ford, the Ford GT race car. I believe that I believe it won it won its class at Le Mans. And the other thing I'd really like a go in is any of the current DTM cars, the German Touring Car Championship cars, which are obviously based on road cars completely on steroids. Uh -huh. And this could go on and on, but that I think that's a fair sampling from 1950 to, to 2017 of cars that I'd like to drive. When you look back at cars, that, and you're talking about some extraordinarily fast cars and, and, and cars that are just so contemporary and just incredibly fast, when you think about old cars that you think you'd have a good time uh, on the road. So it's a Sunday morning and you're out in Barrington Hills and you just want to have a great time in one of those. You open your garage door and there it is. You buckle up the belt. What are you driving? We haven't ha ever had this conversation before, have we? <laughs> <laughs> Many a nights at Wall Street. I think, I think on the road, it's something that you can have fun with without going triple the speed limit. Hmm. Maybe we're talking a uh, an Alfa Duetto. Hmm. Maybe we're talking a mm -hmm. an older Ferrari. Uh -huh. Maybe we're talking a Lotus Seven, a Caterham. Yeah. So so something that you can go out and enjoy that's not very useful as a daily car, but you can enjoy at something something less than breakneck speeds. Uh -huh. Because uh, obviously, when you're out on the roads, you have to be very careful and speed limits and all that stuff. And it seems like you can go fast and have fun, but you don't have to do it at 100 miles an hour. I think you're exactly right. And those are all great choices on cars. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's and, and what's, what's your, the car that you like so much, the Beck Spider uh. replica? You know, that's something you can have fun with and, as you say, not, not be doing 150 miles an hour. Right. I agree 100%. Absolutely. Martin, if you could give the novice, somebody that's just crawling into the car for the first time, just a couple of extra bits and pieces of things, what, what is it besides seat time that's going to make them better? Is it, is it listening to the instructor? Is it letting that instructor drive your car and getting you around the track uh, safely? What, what, what would you tell me to do? It's always good to let the instructor drive your car i mean it helps you see your way around um but the thing you have to do is you have to understand the limits of the car and you have to understand your own limits and you have to push those safely hmm. because you really don't want to come from a, away from a track day with a bent car mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the best thing you can possibly do is get in something that you feel comfortable driving with all the driver aids turned off. So you get in and you can push that car and you can feel what's happening to the car, feel how you're controlling it. And then you can go faster. You can build on what you're learning. Mm-hmm. And as I think I said earlier in this um, in this interview, just always leave a bit out, you know, drive at eight tenths. So you have some space to learn. And yeah, beyond that, it's seat time, seat time and practice. And and besides spending time with you or some of the other instructors that you and I know well, uh, friends of ours, what do you think about the other driving schools out there? You've you've probably attended some of these, and I know that uh, people like Skip Barber and that kind of stuff. Are those good ways to learn to drive? An instructor that's just sitting in, in your car, the best thing you can possibly do is go to a driver's school where there's telemetry in the car, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I don't know whether Skip Barber has it, but a, a, a number of these track schools have it. You're not, it's normally done in a single seat, seater of some type. You go to this, and so instead of um, your instructor telling you to give it a bit of this and a bit of that and go faster here, the instructor will lay down a lap for you, showing where he's braking, showing where he's accelerating, and then your lap will be recorded under that line. Mm-hmm. So instead of speculating on how to do this, you can actually it's quantifiable Mm -hmm. you know i went faster coming out of this corner because i broke earlier rather than later and that's a a really fantastic way if you want to take this beyond um just getting better in your own car martin we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that uh, there are some uh, obviously attending costs in racing in in amateur road racing um, not not just the time but but uh, of course certainly the financial bit about that um, given those things though what keeps you coming back always and what what thrill what what excites you about this what keeps you going to the track what do you love about about racing well it's absolutely my favorite sport i love the i love being at the racetrack i like watching racing but most of all i like driving i like driving fast i like the feeling of going fast i like the feeling of competition of you know making your way up through a field if that's what happens um, i just <laughs> that's the way i drive <laughs> <laughs> i just I, I i love everything about the sport and of course you know you get to do it in some in some very nice places road america being being an example um why does it why is anybody d- addicted to any sport uh, motor racing is is my favorite sport i want to thank martin hancock for coming on today this is our first podcast and of course i had to count on a call on an old friend who um, is just a terrific driver that's really respected as a shoe in the midwest um to to impart a little bit of his knowledge and i was going to say Feel free to reach out to Martin. Best place to get him is his email address, martin at worldfranchiseassociates.com. Martin Hancock, thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to getting together with you in the near future and obviously discussing cars, which is something we do all the time. I appreciate you being on the show, mate. Dave, thanks very much. I've enjoyed this, and I really enjoy um, reading your newsletter as it comes through and you're doing a great job with it all. So thank you. Thank you, Martin. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the drive with Dave podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear and see more about exotic sports cars, you can connect with us at drivewithdave.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Thanks again.